begin by looking at Philippians chapter 3 as our New Testament reading. I'll be reading verses 7 through 11, but before I do that, let me mention that Paul, in the verses preceding verse 7, mentions his reasons for boasting. He has reason to boast. He mentions that he is a, a devout, had been a devout Jew. A Hebrew, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. But then verse 7 <clears throat> begins with a word that changes everything in Scripture, the word but. <laughs> he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And now, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 4. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And verse 4, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. May God honor the reading of his word, which is inerrant, infallible, and profitable for all things. Please take your... Psalter and turn to Psalm 122b as we lift our voices to the Lord. And you may be seated. <clears throat> Someone said uh, you never want to call a pastor who's had serious medical problems 
or has traveled to the Holy Land because that's all they want to talk about. So I'm going to fight the temptation if you have if you have a curiosity about what happened to me, I can fill you in on that at some other time. But I'd like to ask uh, this morning our young people especially I know most of you, all of you probably know the catechism questions better than most. But I want to ask you, um, what is the first question in the Shorter Catechism? First question? Everybody's afraid to answer. What's the chief end of man? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's the answer to that question? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'll pause here. I've had students over the years that have graduated and moved on and will be in a meeting or in some gathering and somebody will say, what do you remember about Mr. Dieter? To a person, that's it, back this up, they'll say, chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. (laughs) I'm glad that's what they remember. Because that's an important question. The second question asks, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Where do we find out how to glorify and enjoy God? The answer in the catechism is the word of God, which is contained in the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. And then the third question, what do the scriptures principally teach? Answer, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Stirs up a lot of thought, at least for me. If I'm to glorify and enjoy God, how do I do that? Where do I find out how to do that? Well, the the catechism tells us in the scriptures. Well, that means we, we must, we are absolutely convinced, I am at least, that we must spend time in the Word of God. Diligent study of the Word to find out who God is and what He requires of us. Now let me say, this is a lifelong task. I can stand up here and sound like I've, I've, I've arrived, but believe me when I tell you, after almost 50 years as a Christian, I've just barely touched the hem of the garment. I have so much to learn. Uh, And I must tell you that God is teaching me every day. Every day I want to be better informed. And he's teaching me more about who he is and what he requires of me. But I can tell you I don't do a good job at doing what he requires of me. And I appreciate Ash's comments about the, the commandments. The, you know, when, of course, when Jesus was asked to 
summarize the, what's the greatest commandment, you know, his answer, of course, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the Ten Commandments. And so though, that's a good place to start, isn't it? It's a good place to begin. Uh, would this world be a better place if we kept the commandments? If we were better at keeping the commandments? Sure. It would be a better place. Ever ask yourself, are we making a difference as Christians? Is this church making a difference? Are, are, is the church at large making a difference in the world today? I, I wonder sometimes. God's church will survive. It will survive. He said to Peter, what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God will, he has committed all the resources of heaven to the good of the church. I know that sounds like pie in the sky. That sounds like mysterious, and it is in a way mysterious. But if you believe in God and you trust in God, and you know anything about him, you know he has the ability to do what he says he'll do. He will do exactly as he has said. Nothing will be undone. So that brings me to the subject, as you saw I see in your bulletin, the theme of the message is David's heart condition. Now you all know I'm not talking about his physical pump. I'm talking about his inner being, the essence of the man, who he really was. The physical pump's wearing out. My old pump is 81 years old. And I went into the hospital. I told you I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm just <laughs> mentioning the cardiologist tells me that my aortic valve has stenosis. It's, it's getting stiff. It's not opening and closing like it should. He said, instead of your heart going kathump, 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 is going kahush, kahush, kahush. I guess they call that a murmur. So this old heart, and your heart will fail. Your heart will eventually stop working because it's physical. But David's heart did stop one day. The physical heart stopped one day. Then we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But his spiritual heart was enlarged daily. And then one day, when he shuffled off this mortal coil and stood before the living God, he had a heart unlike any of us can imagine. A heart that longs for God and desires him more than anything else in the world. More than anything else in the world. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Reflections on the Psalms, that a child has a hard time distinguishing between the meaning of Easter and chocolate bunnies. They have a hard time figuring that out. You know, what's the difference? And that's true. But as we grow older, we begin to learn, I hope, learn a little more about what, what we should be doing as believers. So, uh, <laughs> bless his heart. Um, as you read through the Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you read the Bible through. In fact, uh, this, that's what I appreciate about this church. One of the things is that 
the elders, pastor emphasized the yearly reading through the Bible. And you have study uh, or reading guides. I think McShane, McShane's is back there. There are others. But I can tell you this, if you read three chapters a day through the Bible, you can read through the Bible in a year. That's not an insurmountable task, is it? Is that beyond your ability to read three chapters from the scriptures every day? You must decide. But uh, if you read the Bible carefully, and I've been reading uh, through uh, First and Second Kings recently, the Bible is full of mystery, mysterious things. Has anyone in this room ever seen an axe head float on the water? I haven't. And I ask as I read that again for the umpteenth time, why, why is this here, Lord? What are you showing me? Well, the simple answer for my simple mind was, I can do anything I want to do. If I want to cause an axe head to float, I'll do that. Which is harder, causing an axe head to float or raising the dead? <laughs> our whole religion is based, our whole church, our whole philosophy is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And one day, we'll be with him. Imperishable, undefiled. And we'll be basking in his presence. Uh, Dr. B.R. Lakin used to preach in, in his 80s and he would, in the pulpit, and he would get up on his tiptoes and say, I can almost see the other side. I'm looking over to the other side. Uh, not there yet. I'm not there yet. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you this morning about David's essence, his heart, his example. Uh, if you study the life of David, you know this was a man that had ups and downs. He had successes and failures. That kind of runs through the whole Bible, doesn't it? Success, failure, victory, defeat, blessings, curses. Doesn't that kind of run all through? It does. The, uh, that's what makes me, what one of the things that convinces me of the inerrancy and infallibility and value of Scripture is it tells it just like it is. Nothing is held back. God shows us David with all of his faults, with all of his weaknesses. And we're not going to talk about his failures so much this morning as his successes. And, and he was a successful man. Uh, he became the king at that time of one of the largest empires in the world. He was a powerful man who had all kinds of prestige, but he wasn't always that way. But over the years, David came to this conclusion, I think. This psalm, I believe, there's a lot of debate about when this psalm was written, but I believe it was written toward the end of David's life. Maybe he was about to shuffle off this coil, uh, lay down the armor, if you will. Um, I believe he says in these first four verses of Psalm 27 what he's learned about life, what he's learned about his relationship with God. And he begins uh, in verses 1 through 3 
by talking about his heart at rest. His heart at rest. And let's read those verses again. And I'm going to point out some key words here in this text. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's stop there. What is David saying? Why does he say the Lord is my light? Why does he say that? I'm sure they had lamps. I know they had lamps. That's not the kind of light that David's talking about. David is talking about the kind of light that John describes in the first chapter of his first epistle. In fact, let me just take a moment and turn back there, remind you of what John says about God being light. Bear with me as I'm working with a new Bible here. <clears throat> he says in 1 John chapter, five, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You've heard the pastors, uh, the elders, many times mention the following verses, 8 and 9. But John tells us clearly, God is light. What is light? Simply put, light is the absence of darkness. Darkness is really nothing. And so it's the, it's the uh, revealing presence of God. It is God revealing to us the darkness that is around us and in us. In the presence of God, there's light. And that light reveals things we need to know. So that light of God is a revealing light. When we first came to Christ, the light burst clearly, opened clearly into our lives, and we saw how terribly sinful we really were and are. And that light is what caused me to see my sin. And to cry out to God for mercy. Second thing about light that I was reminded of is light is very comforting. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark place and then all of a sudden see some light. I was in a cavern years ago and deep, deep in a cavern and it was so dark you could feel it. You ever been there? And finally they turned the lights on. What a warmth. What a sigh of relief when they turned those lights on. It is comforting. Listen to what David, let me go back to our text, Psalm 27. Listen to what David said. He's my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
David is proclaiming his great confidence in God, his comfort in God. I'm comfortable with God. Are you? Sometimes he doesn't make us feel too comfortable when he exposes sin in our lives. But are you comfortable with him? Are you confident in him? Enough to believe as David believed. I have no one to fear. Satan himself. I don't fear him because he's a defeated foe. So David's heart at rest is based on his understanding of God being light. Secondly, he says, he is my light and he is my salvation. He is my light and my salvation. Not only does God give light and his light, but he gives life. I was dead, Paul said, and I agree. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. God raised me up to new life. He raised me, literally, the day I was saved, April the 15th, 1976. He raised me from the dead. I was a dead man. And I became a new person in Christ that day. And I haven't gotten over it yet. And I hope I never will. And I hope you never will. God is the creator of life. He's the giver and sustainer of life. We're told in the scriptures that in him we live and move and have our being. Ponder that for a while. What is that? Live and move and have my being in God? That... (laughs) That is such a wonderful thought to think about that. Every day that God gives me is a day when I live and move and have my being in him. Now, not only are we to live or does, do we live in him, but we live for him. Chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy him forever. We live for him. He is our purpose for being. How many times do we think about that in the day? Is he the reason you get up in the morning? Is he the reason that you do what you do? Is he the energy, the force behind you that drives you on and keeps you going? I hope so because he is just that. He is your strength and your salvation. Thirdly, in this passage, David mentions that God is his stronghold. Stronghold. How many times in Scripture do you hear God referred to as a fortress? As a rock? A hiding place? A place of safety? I was watching a documentary uh, this week uh, on William Wallace, a Scotsman, known to most of you as Braveheart. And uh, he fought King Edward and the English uh, trying to win independence for Scotland. But they were showing one of the castles that the English occupied is... It it was, what's the name? The name just left my mind. 
Anyway, this castle is built on a hilltop, and they were showing it present day. And I looked at that thing, and how could anybody ever get into that castle? It was the way it was positioned, the way it was built, the huge, strong stones and all of it. Um, the, the castle was, from hum, from a human point of view, was uh, impossible to breach. So, so David says, God is my castle. He is my hiding place. He is where I go when I need to be protected. When I need the power of God in my life, I run to him. He is my stronghold, my rock, my fortress. He is my strength from my enemies. And believe me, I could spend time talking about the number of enemies we have in this world. When, when, when you do, if you go to the Mumfest and go and man the booth up there, you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it. And everywhere you go, you see it. But we have enemies. We have those who oppose us. Of course, our greatest enemy is Satan himself. So my strength is found in my God because he is my fortress. He's my castle. He's my hiding place. In the Middle Ages, people live in the village. The castle is on a high place usually. When trouble came, if they were attacked, they run to the castle. They run to the place where they know they'll be protected. And then um, David talks in verse 4 about his heart's request. I've talked about David's heart rest, and now I want to talk the rest of our time together. I want to spend talking about his heart's request. What is it he's asking for? He's demonstrating his confidence in God. He's he is uh, proclaiming his confidence in God in verses 1 to 3. You know, although uh, an enemy camps around me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, I'll be confident for all the reasons I've already mentioned. He has confidence in God. He's resting in God. And as I said earlier, I think David wrote this at the end of his life. I'd like to think that anyway. After all of his life was lived and he was had experienced all the things that he experienced, he can write this and know that it's true. So the second point of my message is God, uh, David's heart request. Verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. One thing I've asked, David says of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says in verse 4, this one thing I've asked for. But then he mentions three things. I want to know God better today than I did yesterday. One thing we should desire more than anything else it is that we know God better today than we did yesterday. That we serve him better today than we did yesterday. This one thing I've asked for. And the first part of that, if you want to break it down in three parts, which I did. He first, he first says that I may dwell. 
in his house, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, David, of course, was talking about the temple. He was talking about the, the, he didn't have the temple, the tabernacle, literally, or the tent or the place where God met with his people. Uh, That I may dwell there. That word dwell, it's not like most of us behave when we're interested in the Lord. We run in and we run out. When we have a need, we go to the Lord. When it's solved, our problem is solved, we run away, we, we go away. Dwell means abiding presence, a constant presence of God. David had a, a heart that longed for the constant presence of God. There was a monk in the Middle Ages, Brother Andrew, who wrote a tract called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. Practicing the Presence of the Lord. And uh, he gave some very, and I recommend it if you want to read it, I think you can find it online. <clears throat> He recommends several steps, several ways to practice the presence of the Lord. So in this church age, in this age that we live in, how do we practice the presence of the Lord? How can we dwell with him? How can we take up residence and be with him in this life that we have? Well, obviously, one way is through worship. That's really uh, essentially the only way. I'm talking about public worship, what we're doing today, but I'm also talking about private worship. Do you have a private worship time in your life? Is there a time when you get into your prayer closet or into your secret place, shut the door, and worship God, read his word aloud to him, tell him how great he is, Tell him how much you long for him and his presence in your life. So worship publicly and privately. The public worship, of course, is what we do weekly here. And and the OPC has a process, the Book of Church Order, and all the things that are mentioned there. But essentially, I think, and I've heard many say this, but it breaks down to two things, the word and the sacraments. So I'm thankful that we have this assembly today. I've been coming here several years, and I'm thankful that I can come here and be a part of this assembly. But what happens when we go outside, when we leave this place and go into our daily routine Monday through Saturday? Do we take any of this with us? Or do we just go through this just because we feel obligated to do it? Or we may have a sincere desire to really know God and to worship him, but then soon we step outside and forget it all. I think public worship ought to have consequences. I think there ought to be something that happens because we do this on Sunday. And it's been mentioned many times from this pulpit Things that we do every day that are based on what we do here on Sunday. It's important to me. I hope it's important to you. I, I, can, I can tell you honestly, I don't do it well. I don't do it any better than you do. 
but practicing the presence of the Lord, dwelling with him, is important. And we must do it, practice it, both privately and publicly. Now you have to ask the question, why? How to do it? Worship him, God. Worship him, but why? Why do we need this so much? Because it's so foreign to our nature. It's uncommon. People don't, most of us don't have a desire for God the way we should. It's because of our, it's uncommon. It's our sin nature. We, We forget too quickly. We're distracted too much. We put too much emphasis on the things of this world. And so we're easily drawn away from God. Our nature is to draw away from God. I've asked this question before, maybe even here. If God seems distant to you, who moved? (laughs) God hasn't, I can promise you that. Or I think I've said this before, if you... You're as close to God right now as you want to be. He's not saying stay away. In fact, he's saying come. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He invites us, and yet we hesitate. Why? Why do we hesitate? Because we're sinners by nature. So we come into this place on Sunday morning, and we gather, we cloister together, and We love each other and we worship God in spirit and truth, I hope. But then what happens when we go outside? What happens when we leave this place and begin our routine again on Monday morning? There's another reason why it's it's difficult for us to practice the presence of the Lord. We are so limited, so shallow in our spiritual being in our essence David knew that David exclaims that I'm, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life it's what I want to do but I don't do because I'm so sinful and because I'm so limited my mind cannot take in all that I need to take in about God my heart cannot embrace All the things I need to know about God. We're limited creatures, so we need all the help we can get. And where does that help come from? The Holy Spirit who dwells in us and enables us to cry, Abba, Father. I praise God for his Holy Spirit who he sent to us to dwell with us forever. The presence of God is with us whether we know it or not. Whether we act like it or not, he's here, he's in us, he's in this place. And I pray when we leave this place, we'll have a better sense of his presence with us. So David asks God if he can dwell with him forever. All the days of his life. Secondly, he says in verse 4, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Let me gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever seen anything that is just breathtaking? I'm sure most of you have. Uh, I could mention things I've seen over the years 
one of the things that I've seen that is really breathtaking, and I had no idea until I got there, was the Grand Canyon. That place will take your breath away when you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you see the vastness of that place. It just makes us and causes us to realize how small we really are. Anyway, you've looked at things that, that amaze you, that, that, capture, that, that, in, that capture your mind, something so beautiful you can't describe it. That's what David's asking for. I want to have that kind of presence. I want to have that kind of relationship with God that I am breathless before him. That I cannot, I cannot express how beautiful God really is and what he means to me. Now, if dwelling with the Lord is practicing his presence, then gazing upon the Lord is pursuing who he is. So to gaze upon him means that we have to spend some time studying him and looking at him and finding out what he's like. Where do we, where do, we do that? Where can we do that? You know the answer to that question. In God's word. We should search the word daily to discover who God is and what he requires of us. Daily. And that takes work. Hard work. But it is delightful. I, I can only I can only say from my own experience how delightful it is when God reveals something to me that I hadn't seen before. Have you ever experienced that? God reveals something to you you've never seen before. In his word I'm talking about. You're reading along and you read something and wow. I've never seen that before. So God reveals himself to us through the scriptures. And it should delight us. Do you remember when David brought the ark into Jerusalem? It had been captured by the Philistines. You know the story, right? Finally, it was sent back by the Philistines after they went through some hard times. And eventually, David brought it back to Jerusalem. And there's this entourage, and they're bringing the, the, the ark back to Jerusalem. What did David do? Any young people know that? As the ark was being brought into Jerusalem, what did he do? The Bible says he danced. I don't know what that means. It's not like you think of dancing. But David was absolutely delighted in God, and he was showing it unashamedly. Don't be ashamed to show your delight in God. Don't be ashamed of your love for God and your delight in him. What did David's wife think when she looked out the window and saw him doing that? Oh, I love that man so much. No, that's not what she said. What did she say? What a jerk. She didn't use that word, but you know what I did? Well, she despised him in her heart. She ridiculed him in her heart. How dare you? You're a king. You're supposed to be austere and, and, and proper. But David was dancing before the Lord. He was so delighted to bring God back, to bring the presence in the ark was the symbol of the presence of God with his people. 
So David danced to show his delight in God. Not only is the pursuit of knowledge of God delightful, but it's also fulfilling. As human beings, we need to be fulfilled. We need to be encouraged. You learn something, you want to learn something else. I hope. But let me say to you, the subject of our study, God, is inexhaustible. You'll never learn everything you need to know about God. Never. He has chosen not to reveal that to us. But I thank God every day that he has revealed something to us. He has revealed part of himself to us. And I want to spend whatever days I have remaining taking in that knowledge, feeding on what God has revealed about himself to me. Every day I want to hear from him. I want to learn more about him. So David knows that gazing upon God means that I want to learn more about him. I want to study him, learn of his attributes. Now there was a statement. I was going to read this statement by Spurgeon, if I can get it, which, I, which struck me when I, when I first read it about God and his attributes. Here it is. The harmony of his attributes are the beauty of his nature. That's typical Spurgeon. Chew on that a while. Think about that throughout the day. The harmony of his attributes are the beauty of his nature. When you study the attributes of God as he has revealed them to us, and as we can understand them. There is harmony. There's beauty. There's fulfillment. There is strength. There is all the things we need. We need to do it more. And I encourage you to be a student of God and his attributes. Finally, after saying he wants to dwell, David says, I want to dwell in the presence of God forever. I want to gaze upon his beauty, learn more about him. He finally says in verse 4, and I want to inquire in his temple. Inquiry. Asking and receiving. What's education? Asking questions and getting answers, inquiry, finding information, a persistent, my point is, a persistence in prayer, dwelling with God, gazing upon God, is kind of summed up in prayer, in our prayer lives. What do you do when you get in your private place? What do you do? You read the word. You read it back to him. You talk to him and tell him how great he is. Now how good he is. Prayer is not just asking God to do this and do that. Not vain repetition. Not going through some formula. I could, I've heard formulas all my life about prayer. You know, the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those kind of things are okay. But it just 
relating to God and, and being in his presence and wondering wondering how close can I really get to God. Have you ever had a time in your life when God shows up and you had to say, Oh God, hold your hold back, stay your hand. I can't I can't I can't handle anymore. I hope someday you may experience that. Lord, I just can't handle the closeness. It gets takes your breath away. When you meet with God, it takes your breath away. And it should. And it should. I summarize prayer in him speaking to us through the word and the spirit and us responding to him in praise and practice. Praise and practice. What do we practice? The will of God. We practice the presence of God. We practice his will. We discover who he is. We discover his will and we do it. Not well. We don't do it well. We know that. But we keep practicing. We keep getting back in there. We keep getting up. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it until the day that he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come in. Well, my time is up. <laughs> Let me say uh, to you, I started by saying David, uh, we're talking about David's heart. And David uh, comes to the end of his life and uh, talks to his son Solomon, who's just been uh, uh, crowned, who's just been uh, placed on the throne of Israel. And in 2 Kings, no, 1 Kings, excuse me, chapter 2, he has uh, some advice for Solomon. Sadly, uh, Solomon forgot that advice later in his life. But here, uh, here's what David says to his son Solomon. And this is, this is my conclusion. Now, this is what I want you to hear from God's word, not from me. Hear what David said to Solomon. This is God speaking through David to his servant Solomon. In verses 1 through 4. When David's time to die drew near... <clears throat> He commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. About to die. Be strong, he says to Solomon. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimony, as it is written in the law of Moses. And here's why. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, that the Lord may establish in you, my son, what he told me. Be determined to know God better today than you knew him yesterday. Be disciplined. 
whatever it takes. I'm talking to me now. I'm talking to me. But I, I know you're listening. Be determined. Be disciplined. And last but not least, be delighted in God. Be delighted in God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He is my rock and fortress. He's my stronghold. Who should I fear? What else do I have to do but to love God? And as the catechism reminds us, to glorify and enjoy him daily. Amen. Our Father, we confess to you that we don't do it well. We've come together again this morning as we have many times, many, many times. And for, may this be the beginning of our delight in you and our purposeful pursuit of you. Help us, Father, as weak and fallible fallen creatures to know you better and to serve you better this week. Give us opportunities to serve you and help us to see those opportunities and take advantage of that, of those. Teach us your ways and unite our hearts to fear your name. We pray earnestly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.